0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. I am delighted to have from CNBC's newsroom, the first three-time guest on Explore the Space. Christina Farr is joining us, and she's back to talk about all that is happening and happening very quickly in the world of digital health technology. So, Christina, welcome back.
1: Well, thanks for having me again. I'm so glad to be, what is it, the first guest that's been on three times?
0: You are the first guest to be on three times, so congratulations. (laughs) You can put that at the very bottom of your CV in really, really small font.
1: Okay. Well, I have to keep breaking news. They so
0: can be on a fourth. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's get right into it. You switched over to CNBC. And since that time, you have really become the scoop person, the go-to point for really interesting scoops coming out of Silicon Valley as it pertains to your beat, which is digital health. When that's happening, when you're kind of getting that rhythm going, do you feel like you're getting a sense of the trajectory of the intersection of health and technology, the digital age, in a way that maybe you didn't have before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's um that's a great question. So I think that media companies are changing how they're starting to think about covering tech. Because in the old days it was just like let's have a, a corporate reporter covering, you know, someone's on Apple, someone's on, on Google, on a Facebook. Um, but we've seen technology just continue to grow and it's now like we're, we're seeing technology move into other industries, uh, whether it's transportation or healthcare or education. You know, big companies like Apple and Amazon, they're now, they have their, their feelers in everything. And with healthcare, which is kind of my beat, this is a this is an industry that is so huge that the tech companies just can't ignore it anymore, despite some of the challenges associated with it and the regulations and so on. I think we finally reached a point where they're saying, we want to double in size and we are already worth kind of 300 billion. How do we get to, how do we get to kind of the next set of users? How do we get the next business model going? And then healthcare, that's been like one of the big areas that they've been consistently interested in. So that's my beats covering kind of what, what they're thinking, where they're going.
0: It's interesting to think about that in terms of the timeline of the, when you've been on the podcast, because we've tracked that out a little bit, we've tracked out that trajectory and hearing you describe it, We talked about the issue that these big companies will have navigating regulations, safety, perception, all of these sorts of things. But yet, you're right. Here we are. And you mentioned the two big names. And you've broken two big scoops around the elephants in the room, literally and figuratively, Amazon and Apple. So those are the players that everyone is wondering about, that everyone's been kind of waiting to see them start moving pieces on the chessboard. Would you say that the chess game has started? Are they playing?
1: They're absolutely playing. In Apple's case, you know, they're, they're actually fairly far along at this stage. When I first started reporting on their ambitions in healthcare, it was about five years ago. And at that point, you know, we were just noticing that they were starting to hire in this space. Like, huh, why are they bringing on all these biomedical engineers? That's suspicious. And now, you know, they have an, an Apple Health team that they've talked about at the last event, the Big Apple event earlier this week. Um, Jeff Williams came on the stage, and they spoke about how passionate they are about healthcare. They had just said that you know they see this as a big moneymaker, and not just kind of some something that they're doing to be philanthropic. They actually expect to build a business around healthcare. And most recently, you know, we, we saw them work with Stanford on a study, a clinical study, to see whether they're. Apple Watch which already has a heart rate monitor could be used to detect um, a condition called atrial fibrillation. So that speaks to a, a future in which we could see Apple actually even going down a regulated path and saying, you know, we want the Apple Watch to be a medical de- device that can that can detect and diagnose disease. So that would be like a total shift in strategy for Apple but the opportunity is there and and probably
0: worth it for them. So today is the day that Apple has released its new iPhone version and it's trending on social media. It's a big story. It's in the New York times. So I'm thinking about what happens when Apple declares officially here is our first device that is specifically targeted to some component of healthcare is that going to be a bombshell or are we going to see breadcrumbs along the way as they move through regulatory pipelines testing pipelines what what's your perspective on this because i would imagine that whenever apple really gets in the water this isn't going to be you know a pebble this is going to be a boulder right in the middle of a of a quiet lake
1: I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, if you're a company like Apple, you make so much money that you're not going to bother building out, you know, a giant team for some tiny opportunity. Right. Like They're they <laughs> right. going after big, gaping industries and huge opportunities within them. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really see Apple anymore saying we're satisfied with wellness and fitness. You know, these are big markets, but it's nothing compared to the clinical medical Um, opportunity. And, you know, I I agree. I think we're going to see them start with clinical studies, feasibility trials. We're already seeing that happen. um, And they've started to talk about that. But if the results are promising, then they're going to start having conversations with, you know, folks like the, the FDA about, you know, how do we make this a screening tool or potentially even a diagnostic? And then they face these huge questions of, you know, how do we make sure that this is both accurate and sensitive enough, and that we're not just ending up in a situation where we've got false positives and false negatives. And if it's something like a diagnostic tool, then, you know, you've got concerns on both sides. The last thing that Apple wants is the liability of someone thinking they're fine when they actually have a serious cardiac condition or, you know, potentially flooding the emergency rooms of hundreds of people who are perfectly healthy saying, God, I'm, I'm about to die any minute now, because that's just going to lead to a huge cost burden. So these are all questions that they're going to have to face, but I don't see them shying away just because it's complicated.
0: Your sense of a company like Apple's approach to those questions, because those are the big questions, right? You're dealing with people reacting, not just to something popping up on their Instagram feed that looks like a a nice place to eat dinner. It's something popping up that says they might be having an arrhythmia or their blood sugar might be out of control or whatever the case may be. Do you get the sense that they perceive the responsibility that comes with that? Or are they just going to say, as you and I've talked about in the past, buyer beware and good luck?
1: You know, I actually think Apple's pretty smart about this. Every The way that I've been able to sort of track them is to think, you know, I've been covering healthcare for seven, seven or eight years. Who are the smart people that I talk to, who I rely on? Well, you know, presumably those are the people that Apple might also be talking to you. And in, in many cases, there is like certainly an, an overlap. And I can kind of that's how I've been able to sort of get a gauge on on what their plans might be. But they definitely have this network of experts that they talk to externally and then internally they've got a team of doctors, biomedical engineers, um, regulatory experts, privacy experts. These are people who understand the space through and through. So I don't really see them making any any dumb mistakes, but Yeah, I could be wrong. We'll see. Um, Watch this
0: space. I'd be curious to know if in that mixture, if they have a component of bioethicists to answer, help, help, help describe first what those questions are going to look like around giving 100 million people plus the ability to look at their own rhythm strip and then have to, and then have guidance on whether it's something normal or abnormal and then react to it. (laughs) That That raises some. Interesting and maybe murky ethical questions.
1: Absolutely. And I I do hope that they are talking to bioethicists about this because healthcare is just so much more complicated than we think. And you know, when there's a headline of just Apple your Apple Watch could save your life that seems so compelling to people and then you peel back these layers and you talk to these kind of bioethicist types and other experts and you find out that, oh wow, this is gonna be a very challenging prospect for them um to be able to say to a general population that isn't necessarily at risk for a condition that they, you know, should go and and consult their physician or even more, it's possible that they might say, You're you're experiencing AFib or you're not, which would be a regulated claim. So, you know, one would hope that they're that they're talking to people like that because it's never as simple as it sounds.
0: And it also brings up the sort of running joke that everyone has about the Apple terms of service that you get when you use iTunes or whatever. Everyone just clicks off. It's going to be a different ballgame when you're doing a stress test uh, on yourself through your iPhone or you're doing genetic testing through your through Apple watch or something like that. You're probably going to want to read the terms of service.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, we've got to be thinking a lot as consumers and as patients about we're entering into an era where tech companies want health data and want to be able to use it and leverage it for their own business model. Um, And how comfortable are you with these companies having access to your data? What are the kind of read the terms of service? Like, how are they thinking about storing it and sharing it? And are third party developers allowed to access it without your consent? I mean, these are all questions that we should be thinking about and talking about as we enter into this kind of new new era.
0: As a reporter in this field, you definitely have carved out a corner for yourself, and you're right out on the sharp edge. When you ask people that question, which is a charged question, especially now, you know issues around privacy, issues around advertising, issues around these things being connected on social media and everything else, Do you feel like you get open, honest, thoughtful answers or are you getting a wall because, well, because of any reason that you might perceive?
1: Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. The companies themselves, kind of company by company, have have taken sort of a different route. With Apple, I've been getting more transparency around health data and how they intend to use it. And this is a topic that has come up for them a fair bit, you know, in the news recently recently. And I think they're being associated more with with sort of um, progressive policies around privacy. But it it depends on the company. And then it also depends on, on who you are. So, you know, I'm from the UK. Originally, and um, people there just seem a lot more concerned about privacy in general. And we saw Google got get in big trouble um, in in London when it bought a a company called DeepMind that went and struck a deal with the NHS to kind of mine a bunch of people's health information. And when it came out, people were absolutely horrified. But here in the US, um, I think you know in general there's sort of a, a less of a of a desire to kind of think about privacy or less fewer concerns about it. So people are sort of willing to give up their data if there is something that they're given in return that makes their life easier. So it kind of depends on like on the country and just kind of the the sort of different policies they have around privacy.
0: I could envision that pendulum swinging really, really fast Uh, as soon as there's an Equifax like data breach or anything that affects a certain number of people. I just I, I just can't envision people remaining comfortable with. Yeah, go ahead and mine it. It's fine. Just there, you've got access to it. I click the terms of service, cursory glance, yeah. and moving on. I just—it's hard to fathom, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Oh my goodness! I—I I had a story a few years ago where IBM—I met it with some IBM security researchers who are these kind of white hat hackers, and they—they they asked me if I wanted a tour of the dark web. And so we we went into the dark web and I was able to see for myself just how many medical records are being sold. And it it turns out that these are a lot more valuable than credit cards because you can easily just cut up your credit card. But you can't change a lot of the kind of facts associated with your medical record, Um, whether it's your social security, um, your medical history and so on. So these were like highly valuable and and just a massive amount of of hacks that we're seeing now in the healthcare sector. And And I expect that to continue unless you know, hospitals really up their game in in terms of uh, IT and security.
0: Do you think that companies like Apple, as they're pursuing the marketplace around all of these different pieces that we've discussed, in parallel, would they also be pursuing that security piece to say, hey, look, we will get access to your data, but we're also going to be the ones to protect it. Or is that going to be a conflict of interest? Do you see that as being something where they could have a synergistic effect?
1: Yeah, it's entirely possible that, we're in this sort of battle that we're starting to see between the big tech companies of who's going to kind of be the infrastructure layer for health data, whether it's Google, Apple or Amazon, Um, that one of the ways in which they try to differentiate themselves is through having kind of better policies around consent, privacy and security. And I would expect that from, from an Apple. But, you know, who knows? It's definitely something that I'm going to be following and looking at, because these are also companies that, are, that value secrecy and just have not been very transparent about their plans in the past, um, at least not with me. That's why I'm kind of continuing to try to report on the so that you so that people are aware and just kind of are thinking about these issues before it's too late.
0: So that statement that you just made, I'm struck by it a little bit because... You are going to, I think, very quickly find yourself as not just a reporter, but you're also going to be that third rail. You're going to be filling that watchdog role. And I think that's going to come at you pretty quickly where you're going to have stories that you say, this is, this is a scoop where it's not what the company's doing, but maybe something that they shouldn't be doing or maybe an angle that I need to take that might deflate expectations does that resonate with you does it make you feel uncomfortable or motivated how does that sort of sit
1: well on the you know you mentioned the term watchdog and this has been one that's come up quite a bit you know certainly I I do think journalists can play that role to some extent but I also think that we're just seeing a a sort of gap um, in general we have for a long time and who is going to be the watchdog for mobile health and digital health, is it going to be a regulator like the FDA? Yep. Will it be a company like Apple that can step in and say, you know, we've created an app store that we're having physicians kind of curate um, apps that they think that they would recommend their patients? Because how do you know among thousands of apps, which ones have gone through kind of, you know, the proper protocols? Or it could be perhaps it's the new, um, the new sort of group of, of apps like, pair of therapeutics that just went through an fda process for its um its technology which is designed for people with substance use disorders and that's a company that spent years on going through these these fda approval processes or perhaps they're going to say you know we need to do a better job of policing and informing people about the apps that do not do that so someone's got to step up here and i'm i'm very curious to find out who it's going to be because we do need we need a sense of just you know which of these apps are, are safe to use, which of these apps are, are caring or do care about privacy, and, and there's certainly a lot of bad actors out there, a lot of snake oil.
0: It's interesting. The last time you were on the show was about a year ago, and we deep dove on that exact same theme, and I'm struck by the fact that while the market has continued to accelerate and the big companies are definitely getting in the pool and starting to splash around, that we still have zero clarity on that part of it, that we have zero clarity on the regulation and safety side.
1: Well, I, I'm going to give some props to you, Scott Gottlieb from FDA, who's made some very good, you, there's been some just recent announcements and a flurry of activity around FDA that has provided a, a little bit more clarity. And that's definitely a step in the right direction, yes. From yes. what we've seen in the past. And he's also said, you know, we really want to be working with digital health companies, like, please come in and, and, you know, do a tour of duty with us. And, I think they're trying to figure out now, like a, almost like a TSA pre check program for for digital health for the sort of lower risk apps. Um, so that's definitely going to be a help. And from there, who knows, maybe we'll get another kind of haptic style app store, like I mentioned, you know, that, that's sort of more curated for physicians and other kind of healthcare groups.
0: That is interesting to hear that at least there's some movement coming from that direction. But now, now let's swing back out into the wild west we covered what apple's doing and you've broken some big scoops around that let's swing to the other one which is amazon and
1: amazon
0: (laughs) (laughs) so obviously amazon is making waves that they're going to resonate like carnegie you know i live in northern california and the library here is a carnegie library we're going to see fortunes like that impact like that because of the same apple amazon google i mean this is society changing stuff. Amazon's made it pretty clear they're also going to get into the pool. So, as you've looked at Amazon's perspective and approach, how are they coming at the the healthcare field?
1: Yeah, Amazon is a really interesting one and they've been historically very quiet about what they're doing in healthcare. There's some things that are public and known. You can see now when you go on amazon.com that you can buy medical supplies, yes. um, which you weren't able to even five years ago. Um, so a lot of that is just them striking deals with some of the distributors and saying, you know, from now on, we'll, we'll put your supplies on.com. So that's, that's kind of a first step for them. But then, you know, definitely where I see them going is into the drug supply chain. That seems like a, an absolute no brainer. It's an enormous market it's really complicated. Huge lack of transparency. A lot of middlemen. This is. These are all things that Amazon has definitely wanted to tackle in the past in other areas. And we're starting to see already kind of the market respond to this. And you know, since we've been kind of reporting on Amazon's initial steps in that direction, whether it's kind of secret teams dedicated to healthcare. One of them was uh, a group called 1492, um, and also kind of their hiring um, around kind of looking for a general manager to lead out pharmacy. Yeah, we've definitely seen already a reaction, um, people in the industry kind of feeling threatened, people kind of welcoming the idea of, a, of an Amazon to come in and shake things up. So definitely this is, this is an area to watch. And, and I do not expect that Amazon's going to be sh- frightened by kind of the complexity. I see that as being kind of even more of a reason for them to go into the space.
0: I'm struck by the fact that you mentioned secret teams. I, I never uh-huh. get the sense that you choose words lightly. And so the fact that you said that, 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 that hit me a little bit. Are we okay with there being, and obviously there's going to be some secrets, but again, it's this issue of privacy, safety, these sorts of things pop up. I, I just, I wonder how much of this is supposed to be secret.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, I use the word secret, but it's not secret anymore. Right. Over, um, exactly. The NBC, uh, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, maybe we shouldn't put secret in a headline because we're ex- by nature kind of exposing a secret. But, you know, these are things that, you know, Amazon is not ready to talk about. And I, I think that the reason for it is because, you know, these companies have gone into healthcare in the past. This isn't the first time, you know, we and we've seen companies like Google do it with Google Health and, and fail. So you wanna you wanna be able to say, well, you know, there's plausible deniability. Like if we don't get into healthcare, it's because we were never interested, not because we tried and failed. Mm-hmm. So I think they, you know, they choose to talk about things on their own timelines when it makes sense for them. Sometimes it's when they already have a product out there and and they're already testing it. And, you know, so I think I think we just got ahead of things with with Amazon where we were telling stories Kind of earlier than they wanted them out, and they wanted them known. So that's kind of why I choose to use the word secret. But then, as you mentioned, you know there is also a bigger question of should when we think about healthcare, which has so many, there's, there's so much associated with it that's different from other industries. that it, This is about kind of sick patients um, at the end of the day, and that that's the priority is the patient. And so should these companies be allowed to develop these products that are sort of mired in in secrecy as they have done with, you know, things like payments and, you know, other areas? And that's kind of a big kind of philosophical question that we should be asking ourselves.
0: I would add to that what happens if they start to compete and one of the limbs of the competition fails. And there's patients who were using something or relying on something or invested all of their healthcare data in something that then goes offline. The, you know, it's not, this isn't Betamax versus VHS where you now just have some, you know, dead technology that sits on your shelf for too long. If you're relying on your app to help you measure your blood sugar and all of a sudden your app goes offline, that's not trivial.
1: It's exactly, it isn't. And, you know, by that, I guess the other thing we should be thinking about is that these companies are now in this space they're they're also looking to do some m and a they're going to be acquiring some startups so you know do they if you have if you're buying a startup that has like a pool of dedicated users that are that rely on it every day, do you get to shut that down as you would with kind of other apps that you buy in different sectors so there you know I think that there are some sort of unique questions here that we need to be thinking about
0: so you have a facility with this two different languages, right? The language of healthcare and the language of the digital world as it pertains to business. Most people don't have your level of knowledge and insight, but yet they are the ones who are reading the headlines and thinking about whether to buy something, thinking about whether they want to use a heart rate monitor. How does someone set about getting through the pop-up headlines and start developing some sort of facility and comfort level just with the language that's being spoken around this.
1: Oh, so you mean like a a user bot thinking about buying a, yeah. a device? like a, Yeah. And I then mean-
0: for your, and for look, for people who see you on TV now, right? Someone who tunes into CNBC and watches you, they're going to learn, but you have a command of this that most people don't. How do we start to elevate the consumers so that for whatever component of this is buyer beware, well, at least they have some sense of what to be, be wary of and be alert for.
1: Well, thanks for that. I hope that I'm, I have some knowledge of this. But I'm actually, I'm still learning. I'm very much still a student. And I think the industry is as well. Like, it's only been kind yeah. of in the past decade that we've been able to say, oh, you know, we, we have these consumer technologies like the iPhone that we carry around all the time. Well, huh, maybe there's some health applications.
0: Here <laughs> right. <that we laughs> wow. Yeah, this this might make yet. sense. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like a heart rate monitor. Like we didn't know until recently that there is potentially some work that can be done with machine learning where you could take kind of some resting heart rate versus kind of, you know, if you, if you have to be aware of whether a person is like asleep or moving around or whatever, and like, and take that knowledge and, and, and compare that with the heart rate and say, we could find things like atrial fibrillation or maybe it's some other uh, combination of data to find sleep apnea and other conditions like that. So, you know, we're just doing the studies now to figure out whether these things are possible. And even if we get positive results from those studies, you know, is it, is there a real business model here? Is it, is this going to work in the real world? Like these are all still open questions that I don't think anyone yet has the answers.
0: When you sit down and think about the scoops that you've broken and the scoops that are yet to come and the the deep dives that you're going to take, what's on your shopping list? Where are you looking? And I ask this not because we want to, you know, know what's coming necessarily, but more of where should people be looking and be sensible readers and learners to kind of anticipate the next the next big things? I'm not looking for you to obviously step on your own stories, but just kind of give us a sense of which way the seas and the winds are starting to shift.
1: Ooh, this is this is fascinating. I think you know there are definitely some trends to watch, kind of from an investor perspective. Um, there are some areas now that to continue to, to attract a lot of a lot of interest. People talk a lot about uh, computational bio um, or sort of machine learning meets um, biology in the valley. These are things that are trendy. That that I'm not saying that we should we should assume are are going to be transformative in any way. Um, because we don't, we're still looking for the evidence to support a lot of this, but that's definitely a big trend. You know, things like telehealth continue to be big trends. Anything related to kind of consumer wearables that are moving into the medical market—these are all big. And then I think you know certainly be watching how the tech companies are thinking about healthcare, because you know startups are certainly interesting, and I and I do follow them, you know, to some degree, but. And a company like Apple, think about how many users they have and what a difference they could make with a simple tweak of their product.
0: That's, that's it. I mean, that's the, there's never been something that can pull that kind of lever and throw that kind of money at this challenge in whatever way they see fit and affect change and make a difference, right? Not just have a splashy headline, but actually change the way whatever they decide to intervene in gets dealt with. I just, I wonder what that border must feel like. I have to be honest with you. Do they sense the gravitas of this? This is not just giving some platform to watch YouTube on. This is going to affect potentially morbidity and mortality.
1: Yes. That's something I'd love to talk to Apple's executives about. So Apple, if you're listening and give me a call. (laughs)
0: That's Um, right. That's right.
1: But we have certainly seen signs that, you know, People like a uh, Tim Cook, the CEO, or uh, COO Jeff Williams are personally passionate about this, this whole sort of origins of where the healthcare push comes from. A lot of it dates back to Steve Jobs, who got very sick with cancer and in that experience saw how outdated much of the technology was in healthcare. And there's all these stories in his biography, his various biographies of just how he could not believe that he couldn't share a medical record across different um, health institutions, given you know what he had built in the world of consumer technology. So I think it does go back to sort of a personal passion. And I've been impressed to see Tim Cook Wearing a glucone- he recently has been wearing a glucometer, and he doesn't have diabetes as far as I know. But he wants to understand the experience of what it's like for someone who has to track um, their blood sugar day in day out. Um, and just you know, obviously he he can't really know, but it's just a, a little bit more empathy for the patient experience, and I I think that's a good thing.
0: Christina, I think you just nailed the key word, and that's that component of empathy, that recognizing this is different and. That sense of whatever we do here, this is going to have a material effect on well-being, and it might not all be positive. And having a sense of how that's going to make people feel, how that's going to help people or hurt people—that's the key. I think you nailed it.
1: The patient has always been kind of lost in healthcare. It's just in every in, in every way that you look at it. You know, you look at business models. Nobody puts the patient at, as sort of the end user. And they're always the one that is sort of monetized in various ways. And the patient ends up getting screwed when it comes to things like drug pricing. Um, so, you know, and then think about the technologies that, that we are given, kind of the the sort of EHR um, patient portal um, that is just, awful from a from a user experience perspective and and you see these companies saying oh well no one's using it um must just be that no one cares and the reality is is, is that it sucks um so you know it, it is i'm glad that we're starting to have these conversations and, and think about kind of the the buzzword of the patient experience more because we just haven't in the past not nearly enough
0: it's the first line of the hippocratic oath first do no harm and that needs to be the cornerstone of all of this where the user equals patient, right? It used to be user equals customer. It's going to change to user equals patient and first do no harm. That's the, that's the, that's what we have. That's always at the center.
1: Yeah. And we, we're not going to, I don't think that any of these technologies are going to go back in the, in the Pandora's box and never, you know, we have to recognize that patients are being armed now with these new devices that are giving them insight into their health data. And they're using them to find, kind of, learn things about themselves. And you know, patients know a lot about their own healthcare. And occasionally, are coming up with correct diagnoses and things like this just through kind of monitoring and tracking themselves. Um, so doctors are going to have to reckon with that. How are they going to deal with that? Um, because simply saying, you know, what do you know about healthcare? You, ha- you don't have a medical degree. It's not. It's just not going to take us into the future
0: that we want. You you nailed it and I think that what you just said is really important. The box is open. We're not going backward. And so it's about embracing this, making it safe, making it practical, making it affordable, and making it where it helps. Because if it works, it's 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 a game changer of incalculable value. So let's
1: pivot
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's pivot a little bit. I wanna get in the newsroom with you now. Because mm-hmm. being part of a media entity in this day and age more than ever is fraught with all sorts of buzzwords controversy. We don't need to rehash them all here, but you are reporting on important stuff. This is not clickbait stuff to get people to read because it's Apple. This is the, like we said, the box is open. This is the stuff that's coming out of Pandora's box that's going to change how we think about and interact with our own healthcare. What is the feeling for people who are trying to break these stories? Is it a confrontational enterprise? Is it an enterprise where you feel like you've got a clean slate and you can create whatever you need to to get the stories that you want? Is it some sort of a mixture? What What is that sort of 21st century newsroom with not just print, but video and social media and everything else? What does that feel like?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, when I think about kind of healthcare in the in the world that I inhabit, I take it so seriously that I am not saying to patients, you know, here's a technology that's going to change your life tomorrow when it's something that's highly specul- speculative and potentially a decade away. And I always want to be sort of couching with kind of reality and sort of looking at the real challenges that uh, companies face. You know, that's just kind of, my mo and I think we have a responsibility as as media to do that and but it's hard because you know there, we get press releases filled with buzzwords all the time about transforming this and revolutionizing that and you have to get to a point where you sort of know enough smart people you can kind of forward these things to and say you know is there any truth to this is this is this kind of utter crock or is this something that I should be looking into? And and I'm very fortunate in having kind of a circle or network that will tell me the truth. Um, that's been kind of built up over years. So that's sort of, that's kind of how I think about it.
0: And just like people, when they want to learn about their own healthcare learn about a healthcare piece, they have to be very wary of what they click on and make sure it's well sourced. Where are the repositories of wise takes on digital health and technology in this evolution that we're discussing obviously CNBC is a great place to stop it's a great place to land and get a host of stuff but when people are sifting through the morass you know the millions of press releases and buzzwords how do they chart that course how do they map out a way to know that they're not landing on something advertising snake oil
1: yeah I mean just to give myself a little plug I do have a a weekly column where I'll look at some issue that's come up over the week and and kind of think about it in more detail and provide some analysis around it.
0: It's a weekly column that should absolutely be plugged. It's worth reading. Absolutely.
1: Um, Thank you. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll look at kind of investment trends and, you know, some of the sort of biggest successes and then we'll say some of the failures of the week and things like that. And so I definitely recommend reading, reading us. Um, but then, you know, I, myself rely, I'm always on Twitter. I'm basically on Twitter all day. And, um, I'm talking to some of the smartest people in the world of kind of health policy and health IT. There's a lot of great people to follow. And, you know, even if you're seeing kind of these buzzword headlines, you'll find that, you know, there are people out there who will kind of dissect it for you. Um, and I, and I, I certainly derive a lot of value from that. And there's a lot of great health IT kind of trade blogs out there as well um, that I rely on. So those, those are kind of a mix, at least at least for me. Um and just kind of where we'll go for news.
0: So you mentioned your weekly column, which I agree is is a great place to try to try to stay up as the as the winds continue to blow and blow harder and faster as, as time moves forward. Where else can people find the work that you're doing on CNBC?
1: For the most part, it is just on CNBC.com and you can look me up, Christina Far, like far away with two R's, and um, you'll see kind of a whole one run, running list of kind of the stories that I've written and feel free to read through them. I love to hear from people. If you disagree with me, um, if you think I mischaracterized something or you just, or you, maybe you have a tip, love tips, please reach out to me. Um, I've left my kind of Twitter DM open um, if, if that's how you communicate or you can email me anytime. So I, I love hearing from people and and certainly want to be in touch
0: you made the transition from print media to now being someone who gets in front of the camera and is broadcast around the world. Is that, are you used to it yet? Is it a surprise? Is it, is it nerve wracking? Is it exciting? Do you feel like you have a big enough microphone? What does that sense when you see, wow, this is a lot of people are seeing and hearing this?
1: Well, I'm actually on, I'm on CNBC digital. So I'm on our, our new kind of team that we're building out now. Um, that we're doing dot com coverage and um, the tech team is the biggest one as far as I know. And, you know, we're definitely seeing a huge growth um, traffic's going up all the time. And I think a lot of that is just because we're kind of hitting a sweet spot of, of you know being news that you can trust. And we make sure we do our homework, but it's also fun to read. And, you know, we definitely are working on making sure that it's, it's not dry. That seems to be kind of where we're, we're hitting the sweet spot. And I will be on TV if there's ever if there's ever a big scoop, and I'm I'm still getting used to that, and and trying not to be too much of a BBC kind of newscaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely there's been some training around that. Let me tell you.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's been an amazing evolution, and and the the chronology of you coming on Explore the Space is going to be an interesting little legacy. It's going to help people kind of walk the trail of how this stuff evolves because. You're the one setting that course. So I appreciate you coming on for a third time, and hopefully we can have episodes four, five, and six as, as events continue to unspool.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot um, that's going to come out uh, from a news perspective on, on some of these big companies that we mentioned. So definitely you know, keep reading. And uh, I rely on you guys. So like I said, if anybody's got a hot tip, keep me posted.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was just fantastic as always.
1: Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, see you, see you on the next one. Thank
0: you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to
1: mark at explorethespaceshow.com.